Welcome to the Real Estate Marketing Podcast, where we help real estate professionals grow, learn, and thrive. I'm your host, Shantha Wetterhahn. Yeah, hi guys. Welcome back to the Real Estate Marketing Academy podcast. I am so very excited about today's special guest. We have Angie Netta Smith. She is the Senior Managing Broker for Palmer House Properties and the Director of RE School of Georgia. She has been licensed for 21 years and has spent most of her career in the role of managing supervising and training real estate agents. She has a passion for training and her specialties include contracts and also licensed law. Thousands of Georgia agents have attended her real estate classes and or worked with her as their managing broker. Prior to her career in real estate, she's worked as a paralegal for the district attorney in Northwest Florida and for two clerks of Courts. So we couldn't have anybody better than Angie to discuss contracts and legal stuff with us today. So welcome to, welcome to the podcast, Angie. Thank you, Shantha. Uh, we are so happy to have you here. I, I was telling you before the podcast started, as soon as I made an announcement in my Facebook group that Angie was going to be on, there were a, it was like a whole stream of people. Oh my goodness, wow. we love Angie. Angie's awesome. So uh, you, <laughs> you have a name for so. yourself. <laughs> So honored. Yeah. So I just, first of all, I want to find out how are you, you know, with everything going on, all the craziness, the social distancing, how has that impacted you? How are you doing right now with everything? I, I'm doing, I'm doing uh, great. I'm adjusting very well. I've been working for the past month or so from my home office, but next week I plan to start phasing back into office time. I, I've been popping in occasionally and we're certainly, um, you know, um, observing social distancing practices and things like that. But I'm going to start trying to, you know, work uh, my way back into some sort of normal schedule. Yeah, I so think it's at, really important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to have some normalcy. I think that's why I like recording these interviews on Fridays because it forces me to put myself together halfway. So I do. Absolutely. <laughs> I put makeup on for you guys today. <laughs> and you did a good job. You look beautiful. So. <laughs> so yeah, so I want to um, talk with you. I know we have you on the show today to discuss uh, Georgia real estate compliance rules and compliance stipulations and especially mm -hmm. the COVID-19. I'd love to first, first get you your kind of your history, you know, when you started out in the real estate industry, where were things in terms of compliance and, and all that stuff? And how do you, how have you seen things evolve until, you know, where things are today? Well, I think that over time, as, you know, uh, problems pop up and situations pop up, that's when you get the expansion uh, through the legislation um, where license laws are, um, uh, tweaked and expanded upon, and certainly over time, you know, the Real Estate Commission and uh, the legislation has uh, had to make adjustments to um, to uh, um, deal with things like uh, websites and, you know, uh, social media and different things and making sure that those are compliant. And we can touch on that a little bit about the advertising compliance. That's kind of a big issue right now with uh, agents forgetting some of the basic fundamentals, um, you know, of what's compliant. Just because you may have a social media website, if you're using it to advertise yourself as being in the Real Estate Commission, 
there's no such thing for for example um as you just advertising your name um you have to advertise the name of the brokerage you're licensed with and that's probably one of the big issues going on right now is agents um you know kind of finding themselves um under investigation because they're just promoting their their name or their team name through social media um, or other means and not understanding that the Jerry Sue rules are very firm about that. There's no such thing as you promoting only yourself or your team name. Yeah, so what and what what are some examples? What have you seen personally? I know you've worked with thousands of real estate professionals through your career. What are some examples or some ways that you've seen agents um, you know, get get fined or have to well, threat. I'll tell you one of the one of the biggest issues is if an agent uh, has a team name, for example, and let's let's just uh, say that their team name also happens to be the name of their LLC or their corporation. Now, as a real estate licensee, you may have an LLC or corporation, and as long as you're a twenty percent or more owner of that corporation, then your broker can pay commissions to that corporation perfectly legally. But just because you may be incorporated that corporation is not practicing real estate and that's what agents have to realize that corporation of theirs is basically for tax purposes so that they can get paid um, and and uh, enjoy the tax benefits um, of being paid by their broker to that corporation that they own at least 20 percent of but that corporation is not the licensee the individual agent is the licensee and I always like to say agents are like fingers attached to the body and the broker is the body. So there's nothing that the, the agent who is the actual licensee, not the corporation can do without their broker. And that includes promoting themselves. So one of the biggest issues we have is it starts out as a, an, um, an investigation over an advertising infraction where the uh, all advertising and no matter what the form is, I don't care if it's a, a flyer, social media, if you're holding yourself out as being in the real estate uh, business, you have to include the name of the firm you're licensed with, not just a logo. You know, let's say your firm's logo is a butterfly. You can't just put the butterfly. It has to actually be the words that the real estate commission could type into uh, uh, their website and be able to retrieve that firm and confirm that that licensee is with that firm. So that starts out as a normal um, advertising infraction, but it can escalate to something much more serious if they also have their team name that they're promoting in that advertising is, it, is also a corporation because then they can up the ante and charge the licensee with advertising as an unlicensed firm. So you're basically practicing as an unlicensed firm because you're holding out to the public that Angie Meza LLC, uh, or the Angie Meza LLC team is the licensed firm because you didn't mention who you're actually licensed with. And so it can get really ugly. And those fines can be in the thousands, it can be suspensions, it could even cause you to have to face uh, a hearing in front of the Attorney General's office. Wow. So it can start out so simple but it can escalate. Yeah, my understanding is that the brokers, they're also, you know, a lot of times they're held responsible and they get fined as well with the agent. Have you it's seen that happen? Uh, I, I, ha I have heard of that happening. That is if the broker has um, uh, endorsed the behavior. Um, licensees are supposed to, and brokers should have a really good uh, procedure for this, 
uh, licensors are supposed to have all of their advertising, every single form of advertising that they do that's going out to the public that promotes either themselves or a listing or just sold or anything that they're doing in the area of real estate is supposed to be approved by the broker. So if a broker's giving bad information to the licensee or endorsing that behavior uh, passively or aggressively, then yes, the broker can certainly be held accountable as well for any type of license law violation. Um, if the broker has either um, uh, instructed the licensee that that's okay, or um, is just turning a blind eye and just, you know, aware of it, but doing absolutely nothing to um, redirect their agent or correct the issue. Wow. Well, can we, can we chat a little bit about permission to advertise? I was just, I was doing some uh, rebranding for this new client of mine and he Mm -hmm. lives in this beautiful golf community and he wants to start doing more videos. And one of his ideas was to actually go around to the golf community that he lives in and stand in Mm -hmm. front of some houses and talk about the community. And he wanted to find out if that's actually in compliance with uh, Georgia real estate commission law. The fact that there's no contract in place for those listings. They're not even listings. They're just his neighbor's homes. Can he do something like that? Well, you know, I, I'm very, very cautious. Okay. So that's, so from a, from a uh, photography standpoint, and, and while we're on the subject of that, the copyright infringement, I don't know if you're aware, mm-hmm. that's becoming a huge issue right now. Um, there are certain photographers and or agents or people, if you do not own those photos, meaning you did not hire the photographer and purchase those photos or take them yourself, you don't own those photos. So do not post them, do not borrow them, do not use them, and do not take the permission of someone else or, or just say, gosh, I found that on the internet. It's a pretty little stream or it's a pretty picture of a waterfall. That can get you in big trouble. So you guys wouldn't necessarily have to worry about a copyright infringement if you're the one that owns the photos. But the, the Georgia Real Estate Commission um, license laws or the Title 43, which is license laws, Georgia statute, says you have to have written permission to advertise a specific property from the actual owner, which is the only one that can give you that permission. So my whole concern is if it's, you're not specifying the address, um, but nevertheless, it's going out there on the internet. So if the public is upset, and that is ultimately what license laws and Georgia Real Estate Commission rules exist for, is protection of the public. So if the public says, I'm upset because suddenly there's some guy standing uh, at a golf course, but they're taking a picture of my front yard and talking about my community and my house, and, and I don't want my house posted on the internet. And that's my house, and I know that's my house, and you don't have my permission. I personally am not comfortable with that. And if my agent asked me if they could do that, I would say no, because I would rather err on the side of caution. To me, it's like, if you're going to post a picture of someone's house, like I had an agent ask me um, yesterday, could they take photos of the inside of a house that they were showing and post them on the internet and social media? I know that agents do that, but I'm not comfortable with it for that same exact reason because we've had uh, cases where um, people have had showings posted on the internet where the homeowners just went absolutely ballistic and, and, um, and you know were so upset that people were talking and walking through their house and taking pictures and posting it on social media without their knowledge. So it just opens up um, 
you know, more problems than it's worth, in my opinion. You Absolutely. know, it, so if you have to have permission to, to, you're using that in a, as a method of advertising. Perhaps this is a method to advertise yourself as a really great buyer agent, but nevertheless, that's still a form of advertising and it's still their house and you still don't have their permission. So I guess that's where it's beyond my comfort zone. Yeah, that's what I, I had um, a lady way back in the day when I first started teaching CE about 2015. And uh, she was, she's, she is a known name around the Atlanta market. Mm -hmm. And it, we were teaching on this in one of my classes and she raised her hand and she shared the fact that she posted Justin Bieber's Calabasas estate online. That was, it was on, it was on uh, the market and she posted something just innocent. Like, wouldn't you love to live here? Look at Justin's house. Mm -hmm. She posted pictures and she didn't link back to the original source of where the, those mm -hmm. pictures came right. from. And she got a big fine from Greg for that. So, right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I have agents ask me that question all the time. And, you know, if you've got uh, a link to a listing and you post a link to the listing that someone's got the proper permission, and you're just taking their link and posting it. Um, fine. If you have an IDX feed on your website and it's just a tapping in to listings that anybody can access, fine but uh just posting pictures um and making comments very very dangerous even if you took the pictures because again you don't have permission from the owner yeah or the agent absolutely now i know you come into contact with a lot of new agents a lot of people just starting off in the industry what are some things that you guide them on what are some some advice that you give them to look out for especially regarding social media and that sort of thing well um when you when you're asking me about newly licensed agents or agents in general, one of my uh, quotes that I use a lot in classes is I have two rules. Rule number one is don't take advice from other agents, and that largely means don't do what they do. I mean, just because you see someone uh, engaging in a certain practice does not mean that just because somebody else is doing that it's automatically okay to do so that we see that a lot in social media where um we also see that a lot in mls comments we see that a lot of that in just certain practices that will become maybe the convenient thing or the popular thing or the trendy thing but it may not always be the legally correct thing so um i always preach rule number one rule number one don't take advice from other agents uh, don't do what they do. Don't just blindly listen to what's in the MLS and, um, you know, uh, if someone says that's the way we always do it or uh, what have you. Don't just take that uh, on, uh, on its face. Always uh, seek advice from your trusted broker or a very trusted experienced instruct instructor and try to double check for yourself and proceed based on what you know to be true and not necessarily because another agent told you that's okay or that's the practice they're engaging in. And rule number two is don't take advice from customers and clients. So when I see agents and, and after thousands and thousands of incidents that have come uh, to me, and that's actually been my biggest education, is not only have I tried to read and stay up to date with contracts and license law and GRAC rules, but I've had the honor and privilege of helping thousands of agents with thousands of scenarios and questions and problems over the years that I've had to be their assistant in helping to solve and resolve those problems. So that's why I preach rule number one and rule number two, because if 
if I am to take the scenario and roll it back to its origin, I can boil down the vast majority of where the whole situation went off the rails and it, it went bad to either the agent broke rule number one or rule number two, somewhere along the line, and it started going off the rails from there. Mm. The other thing I would say to them is they have to be very, very well versed in their contracts and they have to understand that the public's relying on them to understand what those contingency rights are and what they have to actually do uh, to assist that buyer, for example, in exercising those contingencies. Um, and there's cases where, yes, the contract says buyer shall, buyer shall deliver this, buyer shall deliver that. But when you are facing a lawsuit because the buyer's losing their $10,000 in earnest money, um, the attorney's going to say, was the buyer reasonable in thinking that your agent um, who's preparing all these forms, who's pulling up the notices, who's doing all these docs, would they have had reasonable um, cause to rely on that agent to prepare that doc and help them in exercising that right? And the short answer is absolutely, yes, they would. So that's something that I'm very, very um, big on is helping agents understand contracts and helping them understand contracts in a simple, easy way so that they understand their job better. Mm, that is awesome. I love uh, what you, because it sounds like, you know, you're, you know, want agents to look at the facts instead of the emotional side of things and listening yeah. to somebody else like another agent, they're, they're bringing their emotions of what, what's right. going on to that table. So I love that. I love your approach to that. Um, well, yeah. and, I, and I like to use yeah. humor and stories and catchphrases. Like I have a, a, a catchphrase, I, I get quoted on this a lot. All offers have to be presented even if they're on a paper napkin. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that, I mean that literally. And I use a lot of silly analogies like that because I want it to stick in your head. I want, when I say all offers, I don't care if they're verbal. I don't care if they're on a paper napkin. I don't care if uh, you know, if the seller is sitting at the table signing a de the deed over to someone else, there is no exception to that. It is covered under license laws, covered under Georgia Real Estate Commission rules. It's covered under Beretta, which is also Georgia statutes, what brokers get sued for. And it's also potentially a fair housing issue if an offer is not presented. So it's a huge deal. And you'll have agents out there that'll say, no offers in the MLS, no offers will be presented after uh, all offers have to be delivered before 5 p.m. on Thursday. Well, I would say to my agents, absolutely do not put something like that in the MLS because you're implying that if someone were to present an offer after 5 p.m. on Thursday, that their offer would not be presented. And that is a form of breaking rule number one because if you see a practice like that, uh, that an agent's doing, um, and you engage in that practice, then you are going down that path. Another common one that we see a lot in the MLS is agents will say, as is no disclosure. Those two are completely separate things. If you're going to sell me something in as is condition, you need to disclose to me what as is is. And so that they're completely separate things. If a, a person has material knowledge, um, then they need to disclose that material knowledge. If they, uh, you know, have the ability to disclose and your average human being that owns a house, whether they live in it or not, whether or not it's an investment property, 
whether or not it's um, a, a rental property, none of that matters. They still have an obligation to disclose defects. And so, you know, those are the types of things that I really try to emphasize to agents. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. So much information you wouldn't even think, you know, I'm sure the average agent, I see a lot of agents doing those, doing that type of thing. So right. They probably exactly. don't even know, you know, so. Right. So it's important to listen to your broker and not just what's happening, yes. the, the trend that you're seeing in the market. Yeah. So. I don't want people to be blind followers. I want them to really um, educate themselves. And um, to me, it's all about you have so much more credibility with a client and you should if you're smart. If you're up to speed on the procedures and the contracts and the deadlines and because it, you know, a lot of us have a wonderful ability to network and socialize and if we are uh, keeping in touch with our friends and family, we're in the place to live business. So everyone needs a place to live. So if we are not being a secret agent and we're actually out there letting people know that we're in this business and then keeping in touch with our contacts and doing those sorts of things, then the opportunities to represent buyers or sellers should come. The thing that sets you apart is, are you really able to advocate for that client because you really understand the deadlines and the procedures and you know, the regulations that are um, required of you in this business. And when you are the agent that has educated yourself, uh, obviously we get educated every time we do a transaction and we build upon our education through our experience, but you need to go above and beyond and try to understand the documents that they're signing and help assist them. Yeah. I, I can give you another example. Um, uh, yeah. Where, where, for instance, we have agents that, again, they think they're doing a great job. And maybe the buyer has notified or the agent has notified them that the buyer is declined. Financing contingency has expired and they sent you an email, my buyer just got declined, but the closing's a week away. So the contract after the financing contingency expires becomes, in essence, a cash contract. The buyer has the right to win the lottery and try to buy that house. If the buyer initiates a termination um, and their financing contingency is expired, then they're going to be the one in default, fine. But the mistake that a lot of listing agents make is they get you know, over anxious and they think they're doing the seller a favor by trying to get the property back in the market. So even though the buyer has not initiated the termination, they may get the seller to sign a termination because they've been informed that the buyer has been declined for a loan. But that is irrelevant at this point. Their financing contingency is expired and they just are at the place in the contract that I, I like to say, they need to show up at the closing with the money. So they still have the opportunity, like I said, and I use this example in class, again, to to get the concept in your head. They have the opportunity to win the lottery this weekend and close on that house in a week. If that happens, if money just falls from the sky and they can close on the house, they're not a default. But agents that think, oh gosh, I've been informed that they can't close, so let me go ahead and prepare that TNR and get the seller to sign it. When you do that, you're actually causing your seller to be in default because they cut the buyer off prior to the buyer's deadline to perform. So the buyer had till that deadline to perform, which is the closing date. 
And if you send that TNR even on the closing date, because they have till midnight, then you are actually causing your seller to be in default and denying them the opportunity to get the earnest money. Wow. Wow. So those are some things that I like to help agents with those types of concepts. Yeah. You know, very practical application type concepts. Pra practical, but it does require a level of, of education. Yes. And I think a lot, a lot of times people don't do well in, in their any given industry is because of sloppy work. And mm -hmm. it sounds like you are trying to circumvent just sloppy, haphazard work so that your agents can be successful in their real estate career. Right, and I just want them to really understand the concepts. Yeah. So if I can teach them the concepts and uh, a couple of the requirements, but I really try to drive home the concepts so that they understand the concept that one thing doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the other. So someone sent you a loan decline, but they didn't send a termination and that loan decline doesn't kill the contract. So while that is all going on and that may be true, you need to understand the concept that this is just a cash contract and it has a deadline to perform. And that person has until after that deadline has passed to try and perform up yeah. until the end of that deadline. And so those are the broader big picture concepts I want to try and convey to agents in class. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's chat a little bit about, you kind of touched on it before, you know, can you give some advice to agents that are listening to the podcast or watching right mm -hmm. now uh, on just, you know, you touched on staying in front of your audience. Everybody's going to need um, real estate at some point. You know, what are right. you doing? How are you setting yourself apart to stay in front of your sphere of influence? So can you give some, a little bit of advice on how to do that in a practical way? Well, I, I tell you that I have this conversation with veteran agents all the time. Uh, business starts slowing down. Maybe they've been in the business plus 10 plus years. This, I, I find this a lot with the 10 plus year crowd, 10 to 15 years. And they, they have been uh, relying on referrals of their happy clients, their happy past clients, okay? But they have not done a tremendous amount to organize their CRM or any type of database to consistently stay top of mind um, of the uh, sphere of influence, which is so valuable. Yes. And so um, I, 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 I say to a lot of the agents, I said, you know, you are fabulous when you, when that, as far as the farmer that picks that carrot up out of the dirt, as soon as that random carrot pops up, you take amazing care of it. The problem is you're only dependent on that next carrot to randomly pop up. Mm. You've done nothing to plant seeds and keep that crop going. And the number one thing I would say, fundamental, fundamental basics is you have to be really tight on your CRM and finding different ways to stay in touch and touch your key people, people that you actually have a relationship with that are past buyers, future buyers, friends of buyers, neighbors of buyers, and you've got to find different ways through newsletters, postcards, anniversary cards, um, utilize a lot of the technology that you have through warranty companies and different uh, entities, inspection companies that will help you brand. I mean, there's so many free tools out there that you can be utilizing and there's so many tools that are so affordable. And if you're not doing that, to me, it's like, don't even bother doing anything else. If you do not have your fundamental 
basics. Don't go buy something and pay thousands of dollars a month if you don't have your fundamental sphere of influence of your contacts, your past clients. Um, I, I don't know the exact numbers right now because it changes every year, but we many of us have heard the statistic that NARS, NAR does a, a survey and I think it's somewhere around 80 to 86% of buyers polled um, say that they would use their same realtor again. And then the, the in actuality, only 11% actually do wow. use their same realtor again. And that gap is 100% our fault because if they're using that same realtor and then five years later, maybe the realtor or the agent has moved companies gotten married, changed their last name, rebranded themselves with a different broker now, they've lost their card, they can't quite remember the agent's last name. Whatever the case is, it is our fault. That gap is our fault. So that's what really sets the people that have the longevity in the career, that end up in their career building teams and having a, a flow in the pipeline of referral is it's not just about the people in your sphere of influence, it's everyone they know. It's their next door neighbor and it's their brother-in-law and their coworker, okay? So keeping a good tight CRM and finding creative ways to touch your, um, your sphere of influence is absolutely a number one. Yes, I teach on this all of the time in my courses. And one of the things that I mentioned is the fact that we're, we're all so busy now and it's, we forget. And, the, and not only are we busy, but this is the information age. Not only will I get right. busy, but I'll start researching and looking stuff up myself and I'll forget about you and the fact that you do real estate because I'm out here researching right. myself. And so I always ask, what are you doing to stay in front of and top of mind of the people right. that know, like, and trust you. And you should have a way to generate new leads to get in front of new clients. Right. So, um, yeah. So that's awesome. Those are wonderful, wonderful tips. I want to find out about this COVID-19 stipulation. Can you touch on that? And do you foresee that being a part of the Georgia Real Estate Commission regulations from now until forever? Well, it's actually GAR, so it's the oh, Georgia the okay. Association of Realtors. Yes, okay. which is, okay. of course, a private trade organization, but they do uh, produce uh, the GAR forms, and um, all, those of us that are a member of the Board of Realtors are all a member of GAR as a part of our local board, and GAR being the state board, and then NAR is the national board. But um, but the COVID special step, I don't ever see this going away. I, I think it will be a part of the GAR forms uh, special steps from now on. Um, and, you know, I don't see them removing it. It's usually when GAR does create a form or a special step, unless there, you know, um, there's something wrong with it, it needs to be improved or it's completely uh, never applicable again, um, then they rarely remove it. Um, and so since this is the type of thing that could happen again, if not with COVID-19 with something else, I don't foresee them removing that from the forms package. The intent of that is basically, largely, if the lender or the closing attorney, because of a COVID event, is, for instance, closed, not functioning, not able to um, actually perform their services, and the, 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 uh, the entities that are helping to create the 
closing moving forward cannot perform their duties. Then there's the the party, either party can give a notice that the, you know the the uh, contract uh, will be extended for seven additional days. Then it goes on to say that the parties can come up with a negotiable number of days to um, extend again if they needed to extend again. And this would be if uh, there was a COVID-19 event that stopped the parties, the lender, the closing attorney, or the parties from being able, able to um, actually perform. Um, but in that language, it, it goes on to say that if, if you are just the only person affected, then you're expected to, for instance, you're diagnosed and you're quarantined. And, but the attorney's office is open, for example. The lender can, can do their thing. You're expected to, to put forth every effort that you can to try and perform and close, even if that means through a power of attorney. And when that special step was first drafted, it's been tweaked a little bit, but when it was first drafted, we did not yet have virtual closings approved. That since has now been approved. And we do have closing attorneys that can actually, for the first time ever in the state of Georgia, do a virtual closing on Zoom, just like you and I are sitting here talking. And the, I'm not sure if you were aware of that, and can actually show their ID to the attorney wow. and, and actually um, do a virtual closing in the presence of the attorney if, in a case like that. So that actually... Um, the attorneys that, uh, the GAR attorneys actually uh, helped accelerate that all the way up to the Georgia Supreme Court and it got approved uh, and changed uh, in, at warp speed in a matter of weeks, something that, you know, yeah. was not Supreme legally allowed. Court, yeah. <laughs> the Supreme Court of, the, yeah. of, of Georgia, you know. <laughs> right, but, right. But, but nevertheless, I mean, a lot of stuff was, was um, um, aggressive measures were taken to accommodate. And um, I will tell you, um, as far as what we're seeing is this affecting the market, um, we're getting, uh, agents are telling me that they are just, their phone is blowing up and ringing off the hook <laughs> and that business is crazy busy. Buyers are starting to uh, feel um, almost anxious and wanting to uh, get into a property. And uh, we do see some challenges, like there are certain condominiums especially that will not allow people to come in. There are things like virtual showings. Um, what I tell uh, agents is if the buyer really wants the property and is really, really interested in the property, go ahead and make an offer and just try to get as much of a due diligence period because due diligence is the right to terminate for any reason as you possibly can. And if you can nail down that property, even if it is sight unseen, they have the right to terminate for any reason. And they could terminate if they, when they get in there to exercise their inspection rights, they decide this is not right for them. So that's another thing, you know, we have to make adjustments to try and accommodate, but um, business seems to be really uh, going strong at the moment. And it's apparently picked up a lot in the past few days. Um, we did see a little burst, and we've seen a couple little bursts of panic terminations. Uh, they've been largely not because the lender couldn't perform, not because the closing attorney couldn't perform, not because of anything in the COVID special step, but more of anxiety on part of the buyer, where they're just worried about their future of their job. 
they're worried about the future of the economy and they're nervous and they just decide to pull out. And that, we saw that a few weeks ago, but it seems to have calmed down a bit. Um, but you know, it's really week to week, Shantha. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's week to week. Yeah, absolutely. We don't know what's gonna be, what's right. in store for us the next day, but I'm happy that, that everybody is busy right now. I have been yes. slammed, I have been slammed. So <laughs> I, I, like, my, my phone's been ringing off the hook, which is awesome, but I'm yes. just as busy as you guys are. So I can only empathize with that. And uh, let, let's, uh, as we wrap up, I want to find out about your opinion. Um, I'm biased because I have been teaching and I have been doing, uh, making money online, so to speak, for uh -huh. five, five years. It's no big thing for me to, to do all this stuff. I'm, I'm virtual for the most part anyway. I just want to find out from your perspective, being in the industry, having a long track record of success in the industry, how do you feel about everything going virtual? Um, I know that you have virtual CE classes, virtual closings virtual closing attorneys? I had no idea. Do you think that's here to stay? It's here to stay. I cannot imagine that the Real Estate Commission is going to try and shove the genie back in the bottle. I don't think that's possible. I think this is a great way to uh, actually touch more people. I taught my first virtual uh, license law class, um, I guess it was last week. I had 136 attendees. And I, I think that the fact that you can get the interaction, um, agents seem to like that. And I think they find it a bit more stimulating than um, um, online classes. And it's a really good uh, bridge. Um, and I, and I plan to continue to um, convert um, all of my in-class uh, courses to virtual training so that I'll still you know, go back to in-class in training. I love it. But this is a wonderful supplement for uh, people that maybe are, don't live close to the office. That's not real convenient at that particular time. Or they work from home and they can carve out just enough time to sit there and focus on that class, but not for the drive there and the drive back. But, you know, I think it's absolutely here to stay. I don't see how they're going to be able to reverse that. Too many yeah. schools, large schools, um, are doing it. And um, it's a thing now. <laughs> Absolutely. I was hoping you'd say that, you know, Angel. Oh, yeah. I teach my, I teach, you know, CE classes with you and I don't think I'm ever leaving my house again. I just didn't know how to break <laughs> it to you. So, so, but this was awesome, Angie. I am so grateful. Oh, Shanta, I yes. appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's been a delight. And, yeah. um, Thank you for putting up with me. Oh, and, no, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, you know, there's always at least one techno technological issue when I do anything. So Absolutely. The, the podcast listeners have, have no idea what stress we had to go through in order to make this happen today. But we did. We did it, Angie. And I, I'm so grateful Wonderful. for you. And thank you so much for being here with, uh, with the Real Estate okay. Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much, Shantha, and you and I will be talking soon. Okay, have a great one. Take <laughs> you care. Too. Thank you so much for listening today. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you were here today learning how to grow your real estate business. Now, don't forget, follow us everywhere podcasts can be listened to. That's Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. And be a friend. Share this podcast episode across your social media. Have a great one.